May I help you? Uh, yes. This is not the best breakfast I ever ate, and I'd like my money back. Uh, okay. Uh, I believe you have to fill out a form for that. Uh, no. I'd like my money back now. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. You see, I have to fill out a form, and, well, you ate most of it already, so... You see that sign? It says 100% guaranteed. You know what the meaning of guarantee is? Did they teach you that here? Sir, if you just wait a minute... Look, just put your little hand back in the cash register and give me my $2.75 back, please, Brad. Sir, if you just give me a minute, I'll find the forms. I'll take care of everything. I don't have a minute. You've made me late enough. I am so tired of dealing with incompetence. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm gonna kick 100% of your ass! Hello again and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And as we always do, we will give you some recommendations for films you should watch uh, this week or sooner, whenever, you know, um, but you should watch them. So, Ian, would you like to go first? I would love to go first. All right, what do you have for us? I have... Mid-90s, Jonah Hill's uh, directorial debut. It's, uh, as of this recording anyway, it's streaming on Prime. Well, it's A24, right? Yeah, it is A24. I, yeah, I think Prime, all of their stuff Prime has, yeah, yeah. They, they did a good job snapping up all that A24 stuff. That they did. Yeah, it's nice to be able to get all of that, or most of it anyway, all in one place, because they are a fantastic studio making fantastic movies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mid-90s, if you're not familiar with the plot, it seems... Um, I'm going to imagine it's there's some elements of it that are semi-autobiographical. I mean, Jonah Hill would have been that age at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a, a young kid. Uh, I'm going to guess. I know I'm so terrible with guessing people's ages. I don't know. He's got to be like 10. Sure. Why not? There you go. He's got an older brother uh, played by Lucas Hedges, who is fantastic God, in this. Everything. He's, uh, he's great. Okay. You're not you're not so hot. on I'm him. not sold on him yet. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I I I think he's still got a ways to go. Here's what I'll say: He's not Paul Dano to me. Oh, fantastic! Oh, great comparison. Oh, I hate Paul Dano. That's oh. what I mean. Well, you suck. That's fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah, we're, I think we're gonna think we're Paul... gonna we're gonna deal with that. Okay, we're gonna deal with that at length during our there will be blood episode. That's fine. Um, anyway, so a young kid, his older brother Lucas Hedges, and his uh the single mother doing her best to raise them is played by Catherine Waterstone. Okay. Uh, who was in, uh, alien covenant and, uh, inherent vice. Uh, she's wonderful in everything I've seen her in so far. But anyway, it's just, again, a very slice of life. This kid falls in with, uh, a skater crowd and becomes one of the boys. And, uh, this kid can take a hell of a beating. Like his older brother beats on him regularly and quite violently. And, you know, he's, he's from the school of hard knocks, this kid. Um, it shot the, the thing that kind of put me off at first and I kind of grew to like it is it's, uh, being that it's set in the mid nineties, um, as the name implies, I mean, it's not just a clever name. (laughs) Hey, um, it's shot in that full frame Academy aspect ratio and it's shot on 16. So the idea being that it's supposed to be like, I, I think at least an old VHS, Kind of like as you would remember seeing stuff okay. at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm totally fine with the full screen thing. I don't think it needed to look like that, personally. Um, considering how much cheaper and effective it is to shoot on digital, I'm not one of these proponents of, oh, no, we should go all digital because I still very much do value film. Yeah, totally. I just don't know that it was necessary in this case. Did it seem more gimmicky? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. But I mean, there's there's still a lot that I respect as as for for Jonah Hill as a director, I think this is a really great for. I think this is a better than average first film. Great, uh, and yeah. there's even a sneaky little throwback to Scorsese in there. Obviously, having worked with him on on Wolf of Wall Street, and I can definitely see how being in Scorsese's orbit would have helped, you know, push this project along and and prompt him to tell the story that he wanted to tell. Uh, some of the some of the performances in it are not amazing some of the skater kids i could kind of do without but i mean that's i could just i could do without skater kids in general (laughs) sorry if you're a skater kid 
but you know, it's it's a great first feature. I highly recommend it. I Liz and I really did like it a lot, and it's a short watch. It's like an hour and twenty five minutes. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great little coming of age slice of life. It really, you know, the the film it really reminded me a lot of was uh, This Is England. I don't know if you're familiar with that or familiar with Shane Meadows' work. I don't think so. But he's another guy like uh, Ben Wheatley. You got to get on the Shane Meadows train. Gotcha. Okay. He is. He makes very unique and very visceral slice of life kind of stories. This is England is being, I think, the pinnacle of that and dealing with a young boy falling in with a group of skinheads and, you know, dealing with the fact that it's set in the eighties and dealing with the fact that he is fatherless because his dad died in the Falklands war and things like that. Okay. All right. A lot of angsty racist British isms, a lot of what we're dealing with right now in Brexit. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but anyway, no, we're not talking about this is this is England, even though you should see that as well. But mid nineties, as I said, it's on Prime and it is a great first feature. I'm really excited to see what Jonah Hill has next up his sleeve as director because yeah. I think he's he's very promising behind sure. the camera. Yeah. Great. What do you have for us this week, Adam? So I watched a lot of eighties comedies, knowing that we were talking about the movie that we're talking about today. Um, thinking that I, I might have a fun recommend to do. Um, I'm curious as to where this is going. Well, it's not going to go where you think it's going to go. Okay. So I, I watched Caddyshack. It hasn't aged well. well yeah, Com- I could have told you that. I watched watching. Coming to America. has aged better, but not entirely. Yeah, not great. And I, I realized that um, the recommendation I want to do for this for this episode is not necessarily a direct 80s comparison, but I wanted to do a movie that was sort of um, of its time when it was done. But also, and, and I'm still being vague somehow about the episode, even though you already know the movie we're going to talk about if you're listening to this episode. But the one thing that this movie did that I'll get, go into more context later when we're talking about it is the casting. It's a stacked cast of a lot of people before they were they were big. Well, much like the one we're about to talk about. No, that's that is what I'm talking about. Yeah, is the one that. No, I'm not talking about my recommendation. Oh, okay, sorry. I, so I know I'm can very I'm very very confusing right just now. Just spit it out, man. I will. So, um, the movie that I want to talk about, they weren't unknowns, but I think it was before they all really blew up, and I don't think you could have assembled the same cast now as when you shot it. And so the movie that I am talking about, that was a big goddamn circle, um, is actually a movie that the first time I watched it, I hated it, and I'm talking about Scott Pilgrim. Versus the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that I was really lukewarm to it the first time I saw it. Yeah, I, I saw, not in theaters, but I saw, you know, on you know, upon uh, when it was released to buy. And I just didn't get it, like it, understand it. I don't know. I don't know. And this was like 2010, I think. Yeah, or, tonally, it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, and I just don't know. I don't know what I expected. And... It's one of those things where I, I bought it and it came with a the digital copy of it. And at some point, I you know half price books or everyday music or whatever. I, I sold I sold it, but still had the digital copy, and I haven't watched it since then. And I don't know what prompted me to, but I I turned it on the other day, and I really liked it. And I, I think it's a couple of things. I think it's that I've I've had nine years to sit on it, um, and that I it's one of those things to look back and go. Well, Michael Sarah, of course, is in this, but like this is Chris Evans pre Captain America. This is um, uh, this is Brie Larson pre Oscar, Anna Kendrick pre Pitch Perfect. Uh, uh I mean, uh, the the Aubrey, col- I don't think Aubrey Plaza had been in Parks and Rec nope, yet. Not yeah. yet. Yeah, it's 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 a stacked cast. Um, everybody doing really, really good, like really good, you know. And Schwartzman, 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 he's never really huge, but he's in it too. I. I I had a ball watching this movie. And then when you kind of realize that it's, again, it's, it's not taking itself too seriously. And so we can't either. And I think maybe the first time I watched it, I was somehow taking it seriously. Um, it's a fun movie and Edgar Wright is given a chance to do what he does best. You know, it's, it's a fun, quickly edited, quickly paced movie. That's all over the place. Um, and it's in the plot. It's, it's definitely a film for the ADD crowd. And it, <laughs> The plot is really simple. Um, uh, Scott Pilgrim, who is played by Michael Cera, uh, is is still kind of mourning his past relationship with Brie Larson. And at this party, he meets um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead playing um, – oh, God, what is her character name? I'm never going to remember it. That's my, my bad. But he, 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 she becomes the source of his affection, even though he's dating um, 
Chow or Cho, I think is what her name is. Um, probably getting that wrong too. Um, but he become he becomes infatuated with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and um, well, that that has scene to... has one of my favorite lines in in recent movies. Is I'm gonna go pee due to boredom. Yeah, oh god, it's yeah, it's so funny. Oh, sorry to interrupt. You. Alison Pills in it too. Yeah, she's yeah, oh, she's, she's wonderful. Yeah. If your life had a face, I would punch it. Oh, it's, it's so funny. It's so great. Um, but yeah, basically, he has to battle her several seven evil exes. Um, and that's and you should know right then that's that's the ridiculous part of this movie. Um, but it's it's really fun. It's really campy. It's not too long, and um, and it was fun because it felt very of its time. Um, to like you know, 2010 it was very, very you know, um, superhero movies were on the rise, and this felt like to me at least an alternative from the desat the, the saturation. Yes, it, excuse me. It felt like a, a a break from the sort of oversaturation we're we're in now. Exactly, or where we were heading. Um, and I, I, I so when I watched it, you know, I have it, so I don't I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I'm sure you can rent it. It's it's a known enough movie that you. I've can. seen it come and go on Netflix. Yeah, enough times. Um. But especially if you if you haven't seen it, um, I definitely recommend it. Um, especially if you like Edgar Wright's work, because he's great and it it's, fits right up in his canon. Um, I still, even though that I am, it's a film that I'm cooling to. I still kind of rank it above Baby Driver. I don't. I I don't know. I think I like Baby Driver more. And well, Baby Driver, I will admit, I do need to revisit. Well, I've only seen it once, but yeah. but but anyways, I just I do. I I it's fun. Um. It's got a pretty good soundtrack. It's it's got it's fun. It's a quick comedy action, and like you buy the action too. It's fun. Those fight scenes are just ridiculous. So yeah, I definitely recommend it. Um, find it, watch it. It's good. Yeah, and not not as strongly as my recommendation last week with Spider Verse, but um, but still good. I definitely recommend it. Um, so it kind of it kind of ties in to the movie that we're talking about today. Well, and, when you want to talk about ensembles. Yes. Yes. And we 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 came to you, the listeners, uh for this poll. We had an Amy Heckerling poll of her films that are in the book, and we pitted Clueless up against Fast Times at Ridgemont High and, and thank, overwhelmingly Yeah, thank God you guys voted for for Fast Times. I was not anywhere in the mood to do a Clueless episode. And so yes, yeah, so we are talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh directed by Amy Heckerling, written by Cameron Crowe based off of his own novel should we just stop there and briefly talk about that yeah so he was working for rolling stone and of course he would uh delve deeper into that when he made almost famous which we'll come back later yep um yeah he went undercover at claremont high school in san diego and uh decided to give people like this is what high school really looks like yeah yeah i am very interested in reading the book um because I want to know what the what the differences were because obviously there were some creative liberties taken with the casting and 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 changing scenes and that's what happens with the movie. But I I would be really curious to read the book. Yeah. No. I uh, well I I think it's out of print, so oh. you're gonna have to really track that down. Yeah, I might have to. I might. I may be wrong about that, but I I'd be curious to know how different. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure it gets darker. Oh God! I kind of, kind of, not gonna lie. I kind of hope so. Yeah. Um. Our our main cast that we're dealing with here is uh, we got Sean Penn as Spicoli, Jennifer Jason Lee as Stacy Hamilton, Judge Reinhold as her older brother Brad. Um. We have Robert. Is it Romanus or Romanus? I don't want to say his name. I think either way. Okay. Robert Romanus as uh, Damone, Brian Backer as Rat or Mike, Mark Ratner, um, Phoebe Cates as Linda, <laughs> Ray Wallstone <laughs> as Mr. Hand. Um, uh, Scott Thompson is Arnold, who's kind of the dorky guy. Um, I, Vincent Schiavelli, who just pops up in all of these 80s movies. Uh, he plays I, Mr. Vargas. I am in love with that man. He what is, a shame. I, is, I really felt that when he went. That kind of bummed me he out. Is, yeah, he just has one of those faces, man. Yeah. Um, and a fabulous cook. He, he for a while, was, was a cook? Li- yeah, he was oh. living in his, his grandfather was a, a, a very well-regarded chef. I did not and, know that. Uh, so he spent a lot of time in Italy and wrote several cookbooks, actually. That's awesome. I did yeah. not know that. That's yeah. fantastic. There you go. That's my little gift um, to you. The two other names that I have um, is uh, Forrest Whitaker as Charles Jefferson and an unnamed employee at the time going by Nicholas Coppola. You might know him now as Nick Cage is in this film. And we'll talk a little bit more about him uh, later on. Um, the only other name I'd throw out there is Eric Stoltz. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. Oh, and um, um, Anthony Edwards is the other friend. That's right. Um, of, yeah. of Spicoli. Yes, you're right. You're right. 
I didn't write. Everyone didn't, didn't. I didn't copy that one over. That's my bad. Um, I'm sure it would have come up though because he's in my notes. Uh, and and the poll uh, included this and Clueless. They're the only two films by Amy Heckerling. Heckerling. Um, not a whole lot of accolades. I see that it was nominated for Best Comedy at the WGA, which uh, makes sense. I, I get that. Um, and hey, Ian. Was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? 2005. Hey, so we will always have Fast Times at Ridgemont High. However you feel about that. Yes. Um, did you, do you have any um, critical reviews that you wanted to mention? Okay, so this is... This is why don't, do you have one? I do. Well, let's do yours first because mine, there's a lot to unpack. Okay. Mine, I think, is going to give you my view of the movie before we unpack it. So this is from um, the New York Daily News... And it was written by Ernest Leagrand. I think I'm saying that right. Oh, I, I did see this one. What Fast Times at Ridgemont High has is an attractive, personable cast, a bunch of young actors who are very easy to like. What it doesn't have is a clear point of view, something that would make it more of an interest than leafing through a high school yearbook. Its final sequence, for instance, could just as easily come in the middle of the movie for all the relation it bears to what goes on before. So that's my thought. Yeah. What do yeah, you have? That, I say so that's fairly accurate. So I, um, I stumbled upon uh, Roger Ebert's one-star review. <laughs> uh, he was not, he was not in love with this film, to say the least. He was, however, he seemed infatuated with Jennifer Jason Leigh and came to her quote-unquote rescue throughout his review, quite a lot, and I would say quite unnecessarily. Um. So the, fir- the first point, and again, I don't want to make the whole episode about Roger Ebert's review, but I, I, there are some things that I have to say about this. Let's do it. Uh, so Ebert says, if this film had been directed by a man, this is not the beginning, this is somewhere in the midpoint of his review. Okay. If this movie had been directed by a man, I'd call it sexist. It was directed by a woman, Amy Heckerling, and it's sexist all the same. It clunks to a halt now and then for some heartfelt, badly handled material about pregnancy and abortion, I suppose that's Heckerling paying dues to some misconception of the women's movement, but for the most part, this movie just exploits its performers by trying to walk a tightrope between comedy and sexploitation. I'm really feeling like Ebert missed the point, and I think he, in turn, by claiming this film is sexist and what he just said about Heckerling there, in turn makes him sexist. I was just curious how you felt about that. Um, Sorry, I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, no, this, no, yeah. no, no. I Well, it, you know, it might be even just better to unpack this stuff now and maybe get to some of the funnier stuff later because I do think that the abortion part of this movie is completely mishandled. I think it's the worst part of the movie um, when it should probably be the most impactful. Yeah. Um, and it's not just, you know, part of it, when 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 Damone is trying to call people to get money to pay essentially pay for his half, um, that that actually feels genuine for like a high school kid to be like I, I don't know let me just call buddies to see if I can get money, um, you know and her not getting picked up him not answering the door her having to go by herself, um, I get all that and I do I do kind of like the moment where uh, Judge Reinhold her brother at the end is waiting for her um it's this kind of it's this nice moment. See, but, that's, that's my favorite moment in the movie. I would probably say so, too. But but for me, it's like the carpet gets pulled out from under your legs the second he gets away with it. Yeah. It's like we get to go to the prom, and Damone's fine. I'm going to dance because no big deal because it's gone. It's done now. I'm a, I'm a dude, and I didn't have to go, and she's not pregnant, and I'm going to just go to prom and dance yeah. and be happy. And uh, that's bullshit. Uh, well, I think this is, is, a, is a problem inherent in the era and when we get to some John Hughes movies, we're going to have to deal with it a little bit more. But this idea, this toxic masculinity, it, it runs right the way through the film. I don't I don't mind that a movie has a abortion in it or, you know, the, 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 what, 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 what happened. But I do think it was severely mishandled and it almost felt like this movie needs a dramatic side story. So let's do this. And yeah. it did feel tacked on. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And 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 so the combination of it feeling tacked on and then well, let's end this movie at prom and it's fine. It's like it's... That's completely the wrong message. Yeah. Sending completely the wrong signals. Yeah, it's... It, it almost... It's so... It's such a weird tightrope 
to walk this scene because it, it both does and does not belong in the film. Yeah. But I but I also think calling Amy Heckerling sexist is is completely out of left field from Ebert. I I, I would yes, I would agree with you. Yeah. I, I, I don't I don't think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think he as I said, I think he really missed the point. He also goes on to say, whatever happened to upbeat sex Whatever happened to love and lust and romance and scenes where good-looking kids had a little joy and excitement in life instead of all this grungy, downbeat humiliation. Because he's really, he's really, def- as I say, he's defending Jennifer Jason Lee. He talks about her at length in his review, and especially the scene that he, other than the abortion scene, the other scene he hates is where uh, her and uh, Mike, the Robert Romanus character, have sex. And, talk- and that's what he's talking about in there is whatever happened to upbeat sex. So it almost seems like he's, and I think he does at one point mention Animal House. I think he's longing for a kind of Animal House approach to this sort of thing, or a Porky's oh my God. Okay, approach well, to it. Okay, yeah. So okay, well, okay. Immediate things is that Animal House takes place at college. Yeah, this is high school. Um, as much as we, w- we would want to, I, I, I don't think I'm, I would be misquoting this. As much as he wants to glamorize, glamorize and romanticize high school sex. I don't think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, it's messy and stupid and awkward, especially if you're if you're new at it. And it's over quickly. And especially yeah. when you have the juxtaposition of all these kids talking like they know what they're talking about. That, oh, and then that, to have oh them God. completely exposed. High school is just talking a big game. Yeah. And having like no follow through. Which, which is where this film nails it. Talking a big game? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, I, it's one of the only things I think it nails. Oh, man. I... Oof, oof. I, I'm, 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 I'm a little flustered. Not gonna lie. Um, I, I just, I just think about you know what, it, what it was like to be a high schooler. You have no, you have no game. It's not romantic. You don't know how to be romantic. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I, I, wow. I mean, and this thing is, is, and it's so funny because I think it's just he. I think he viewed the movie through a, a, a scope. Yeah. And that's where all this is going, right? So it's like. I disagree with him, but I don't think I, I, I guess I can't call him wrong. Well here's just, and this I'm glad you said it like said it like that because his final point is but vulgarity is a tricky thing to handle in a comedy. Tone is everything. And the makers of Fast Times at Ridgemont High have an absolute gift for taking potentially funny situations and turning them into general embarrassment. They're tone deaf is how he finishes the review. Which yeah, he's not wrong, but he's also not right. And he comes across really out of touch. I mean, I, I get that too, but I, I can't disagree with it because I, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is kind of going along those lines, but I don't, okay, I'm just going to say it. I don't think Sean Penn is, is A, funny or B, good in this movie. I don't. I, I found him to be beyond a caricature. He was painting with the biggest broad strokes of a character I may I I've almost ever seen in a movie, and and yet to hear the the cast and crew reflect on that movie, he was method, and it was like oh my god, it was like a totally different person. Well, sure, it wasn't Sean fucking Penn, it was some weird fucking crazy surfer guy, like like flunk him. It this is a movie with no consequences. That is that is its major failing. The and, thing that I'm asking throughout this movie is I know they want the high schooler's perspective, but there are no adults in this film. Yes, oh, besides the teachers. Yes. Oh my god, I was going to bring and, that and up. And so too. we don't have that we don't have those relationships. We don't have it grounded in really we only get snippets of their home life, which I know is not the point of this film. The point of this film is high school. But you, I don't feel that one can exist without the other. No, it can't. You need to have that balance. That's what Freaks and Geeks, the the TV show, does so well. I never so watched well. it, but I, yeah, you I know. will you will really like Freaks I'm and Geeks. I'm sure I would. It is the antithesis of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's just this movie has so much p- potential. I mean, it really does. It, it it should work so well. Yeah, and I I guess. Well, it goes, it goes, it several times. It goes right to the line of saying something important, but it just can't get there because it's got to be a fun Saturday night kind of, you know, forget your troubles and go watch this stupid comedy, yeah, kind of movie. When yeah. it's, I, I almost guarantee you, this is not the film that Cameron Crowe wanted to make 
or wanted to see made out of it. And I, I, of course, I can't speak for him. No. But it's funny because I watched uh, the the DVD comes with like a thirty minute retrospective, and most of the people in the movie um, are in it. Uh, now, not all of them. Some of the big names aren't. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee isn't. Sean Penn is in it. Talks talks in it. Um, Forrest Whitaker wasn't, but um, Cameron Crowe was not. And I find that absence interesting. I, I think it's very telling. Yeah, because you you go you look to see what he does later in his career. Not and not everything is a slam dunk, you know. Um, I think. Oh, no, he's his highs are pretty high. Yeah, but his lows are whoa. Did you yes. see Aloha? No, I did. that was him. Oh, oh Jesus! I, I kind of I didn't. I don't think I know who made that movie. Yeah, it's Oof. it's bad. Yeah, okay, no, it's, I didn't. It's I didn't not see good, that. man. Um, but this doesn't. I mean. But but in a way, I guess, and I haven't seen it, but I, I you know, Cameron Crowe movies kind of feel like Cameron Crowe movies. This does not feel like a Cameron Crowe movie, um, and I I don't think I've ever seen Clueless in its entirety. But I can say I can say I think with with some definitive certainty that this feels like an Amy Hackerling movie, um, broad strokes high school comedy. That I just that just that just I don't know. Yeah, no. That's just where I'm landing yeah, on that one. That's we're kind of we're kind of coming to like the 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 points that I wanted to make as final points pretty early, and that's that's partly my fault for bringing up the Ebert review. No, but 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 I I it, it, we needed to mention that that the, that moment the, the abortion stuff. Yeah. Do you want do you want to do you want to pull back and do a a, a sort of some summary of the plot and talk about some of the actors and stuff, and then come back to this? Yeah. So I, I think the best way to do that would be just to kind of talk about because there's definitely there's definitely crews of people in the movie. So basically there's, we have Spicoli, that's Sean Penn. Um, and basically his story, if he has one, is that he's not doing very well in school because he's uh, probably either not there or getting high all the time. Um, well, specifically he has the antagonistic relationship with probably, I don't know, probably the best performance in the film is, uh, is Ray Walston playing Mr. Hand and their relationship yeah 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 i mean i agree with you on the on the that that's that's that that's the relation that it's that antagonistic relationship it ultimately ends up being sort of the you know i had had faith in you the whole time kind of thing yeah no it doesn't it doesn't end in the way that it should end but they they do have moments together which i think elevate both of their well at least elevates sean penn's performance because he gets to have these kind of moments with the mr han character and he he makes him better yeah, performance-wise. Yeah, um, and then the you you have um, so really, and then uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. She's the main character. For yes, me, as far I would as I'm say concerned. so. In yes. an ensemble cast, this is this is her story. Yeah. I think. And um, you know her and she her best friend is Phoebe Cates, and um, Phoebe Cates seems to be dating an older guy, and in in a way, Jennifer Jason Lee goes to her a lot for advice and you know how does this go? And I do I do kind of I thought the the um the little blowjob carrot scene was kind of funny to do it in the middle of the cafeteria, maybe not know about it and stuff. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and I do. And I, in, in essence, again, this should work. You know, you've got Damone, who's kind of the cool New York guy and, and, and Ratner who is, you know, the kind of the geeky guy, but you're rooting for him. You really want him to, you know, cause he's like, he shouldn't win, but let's, let's, let's have him, you know, and, and well, you have the parallel sets. You have the, the Phoebe Cates character kind of misleading, Jennifer Jason Lee, and then on the the flip side of that, you also have, you know, Brian Brian Backer being misled by Robert Romanos. Yes, you know, he has that that his five he has his five the points. Five, yes, which yeah. are it you being and it's all and well I'm an it's always sunny fan as well. But you introducing that to me, I could see I I thought about you instantly with that and the dentist system. The dentist system, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the first thing that came to <laughs> mind. I was like, oh, this is just a shittier dentist system. Especially when he said the the moment that pisses me off and it's such a little who gives a shit. Um, his final point is to put on Led Zeppelin four as loud as he can. Yeah, and of course they cut to them in the car and it's Cashmere, which is not on Led Zeppelin four. Yeah. It's on Physical Graffiti, which was a couple albums later. I just a little thing that really pissed me off, and I know because they couldn't get the rights yeah. to although to Led Zeppelin four. We should say that I think the the best part of this movie is the soundtrack. Yeah, 
And for no other reason than just like coming in and listening to the Go Go's right off the bat, you know, like, okay, cool, cool. And then you know, um, uh, well, I so I say that, and then I also I, when American Girl came on, I was like, oh yeah, I love, I love me some Tom Petty. And the great thing, the great thing, the funny thing is that both those songs, not on the soundtrack. You can't actually when you buy the soundtrack, they're not included on that. So oh, I was like, oh, my favorite songs in the movie. No, you couldn't get on the soundtrack. Well, and that's to do with licensing. Right? Yeah, of course, the, of yeah, course. Yeah, you've got to pay for it twice. Um, I, I, did, I did. There was a comparison I read, though. This is not what we were talking about, but it's in the movie. Is that um, similar in E.T. when they used the Reese's Pieces and, and that the skyrocketed the sales of that. Vans um, took off that's quite right. a bit. Uh, yeah. Because that those are the shoes that Spicoli's uh, opening when he's – they are famously the shoes he hits himself in the head with uh, when he's stoned out of his mind. Which apparently is what you do when you're really baked. You hit yourself in the head with shoes, man. I I have been more stoned more times than I would care to admit on this podcast. And we all want to know what I've never done. Wait, wait, wait. You've never hit yourself in the forehead with a shoe? Yes. Ah, oh, okay, good. You, there you go. Absurd. Like you say, a complete caricature. Yeah. And then he has that, that moment at the end with Brad where he's like, All I need, man, is a cool bud. Some tasty waves, and I'm fine. Like, come on, man. Could you ham it up anymore? This is not the Sean Penn. How did that Sean Penn become the Sean Penn who went on to play Harvey Milk? Okay, well, here's the thing. And this is, like, you see the dedication to it. You can see it's just so broad. It's it's like Heckerly never reined him in and said maybe get more specific. It was just so... You know, at least with 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 milk, I mean, I, I prefer Mystic River as performances go. But at least with milk, he's there's a there's a specific person like like, and I I don't I okay, oh, I don't know how to say this. I don't know Harvey. I don't know Harvey Milk's. I mean, I know of him, but I never you know I never really saw any real clips. But like, he so he, yes, Harvey Milk is gay, right? Um, maybe a lesser actor or a, a worse movie. Hams Hams, a care oh, like um um broad strokes that. So maybe maybe it's more feminine. Maybe it's more limp wrist, awfully stereotypical gay uh, stereotypes. You know what I mean? But no, it, it, he played him as a person, right? He there was there was a more specific, um, genuine way that he came to milk that we don't get in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I, you have to put that down, I think, to the folly of of youth and, sure. and inexperience. And that too. That, that's and that, and so I can I can see the connection. Um, I think he he would have done with some reining in some some but, some, but it's some, hard to look at when you just take it at face value. It's like Jesus, is this really what he started with? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, but I just I mean, everybody was talking about his dedication to the character on the set. Um. And and, and you might hear some papers here. My so my unsung hero. Yes, my unsung hero of the movie is actually and this is so I I always like it when we. We uh, our unsung hero is a type of person that we haven't talked about yet. Whether it's a cinematographer or editor, my unsung hero is Don Phillips, who is the casting director of this movie. Um, because I don't think they knew who they had. And, and granted, not all the performances in the movie are fantastic, but who they were, who they were all to become, I don't think you would ever have known it from this. Oh, sir, and Nicolas Cage being the number one. On that, I mean, it seemed like he had quite an antagonistic relationship with people on the set, and it probably speaks to why he's in the film so little. Oh, that's oh no. Oh, do you know, oh do you not know why he was in the film so little? He was actually supposed to be a bigger part. Um, hold on, wait, wait, wait. wait oh, wait. I had heard this. Um, but yeah, no, please go on. Oh, who was it specifically? I now I'm pissed because I I don't know if I wrote that one down. Anyways, he was supposed to be a bigger part. I think he might have. Um, he was supposed to be either. Ratner or um, Judge Judge Reinhold's character. I don't I don't remember, but he was seventeen. That's right. So he and couldn't he... shoot as long, so he just became that really small character in in the movie. Um, the other side story I heard was that he he bragged. This this is where I was going. Yeah, he bragged about yeah. being Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, and eventually got mocked a lot about it. And and if and and don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the only film credit. As Nicholas Coppola that he has. Well, he's gone on to claim that he didn't want to ride the coattails of his famous uncle, but now I think Fast Times tells the true story. But that, and that's you know, but you know, that's that's a seventeen-year-old mindset right there. Yeah, my uncle made Godfather and Apocalypse. Now, what do you, you know? Ha ha ha! And then to get like that's to realize exactly what he sounded like yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, but then to realize 
that that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, sure, it might have it might have got him in the movie, but like to try to brag about it and to realize, no, 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 no. sorry, that that's not how it works. That I appreciate. That they, I, he clearly learned a lesson from it, so that's that's great. Um, but you know, I mean, Nick Cage, Forrest Whitaker, and Sean Penn—they all go on to win Oscars. Um, Jennifer Jason Leigh as uh, an Oscar nominee. Um, and then you know, Judge Reinhold's in everything. You know, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Well, he's in everything from about this point up until like '89. I mean, what what did he do of substance in the '90s? Okay, well, of substance, I don't know. He was in the Santa Claus. Oh boy. And he plays. Judge Reinhold in Arrested Development. I'm just going to leave that one where it lays. I'm just saying. He's in that. Yeah. But it was for a time there. He was in everything in the 80s. Yeah. He's yeah. everywhere you turn. They've been Gremlins, Beverly Hills Beverly Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. yeah. So, you know what I didn't realize? I didn't realize that Phoebe Cates is married to Kevin Klein. 15 years her senior. Yeah. I did. I never knew that. And that's kind of why she she has disappeared, because she's you know married Kevin Klein, and I I think they had at least two to three kids yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. She she decided that that is what she wanted more than pursuing the the yeah. acting career. And it's which so, you know good on her. It, oh, totally. Yeah, ex- yeah. Um, it's so funny because that that shot the her coming out of the pool the very infamous taking off the uh, the bathing suit top i think it's probably one of the most iconic nude scenes in film history yeah um well so t- i want to say two things about it one is or about her one is that in that scene it's really not even that good like it's fun i get it but it's like okay i don't i don't nothing about her just the shot itself i'm like okay fine whatever i sure i get it. it it's like it's the 80s version of american pie with nadia taking the side I, I get it it's 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 that do we need it i think is what it's, you're yeah exactly um but i i don't know phoebe cates from this phoebe cates for me will forever and always be the female lead in drop dead fred hey good for you man i you're I, talking to somebody who absolutely adores that I love that movie. And it's one of those movies where, like, you really had to – somebody you know that was older than you had to had to love it because it's not of our generation. It's like 90 or 91. It's an, it's an old movie. Um, and it was not well received. It is the guiltiest of guilty pleasures. Um, and, it, oh, it's so – it's so bad that it's so – it's so good. And now it's such a rare movie that, like, if you were to try to find it used – Pricks out there who have it would be selling it for like fifty bucks. And it's like fuck you. Drop Dead Fred is not worth fifty bucks, but like, but I don't have it and I I want it. Well, it stopped. the 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 shame is that I'll go on a little Rick Mail tangent here because I I am absolutely in love with Rick Mail and it did break my heart when he died a few years yeah, back. Yeah, was he the director or something? No, or? Rick Mail is is Fred. Oh, he it stopped his career in Hollywood pretty much in its tracks because he was so well-regarded in the UK, so well-respected. His Some of his best work is just in minor roles on Blackadder where he plays uh, squadron leader, the Lord Flashheart. And he's all very pompous and full of himself. And he's like, you know, you better be careful because I'll fly back home to, to Blightsey and give your wife something to hang her towels on. <laughs> it's he's that kind of... And his delivery... Oh, man, I'm so glad you brought up Drop Dead Fred and Rick Mail. He is... An actor that was so dear to me, and all the stuff that he did back in the day, the Young Ones and Bottom, and him, him and Adrian Edmondson uh, went on to have like a lifelong partnership, at doing uh, shows like the two that I just mentioned, and doing live stage shows as well. Their stage shows are some of the best I have ever seen. Like the way these men work together and their timing. It's such a shame that that we lost him. It was very heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, he was most recently in a TV show called Man Down. He did a season of that with Greg Davies, who is one of the best British stand-up comedians working today and has had a couple of shows. He's got one on... I think they're both... Actually, Man Down and his other show, Cuckoo, are both on Netflix. Okay, I, cool. hard, I highly recommend them both. Great. Man Down is absolutely fantastic. And uh, Rick Mayle plays his dad in Man Down. Because people say, oh, wow, you really look like you could be Rick Mayle's son. And so he got him... He got Rick Mayle to play his dad, which is a huge feat in and of itself. But the man was just so warm-hearted and, by all accounts, one of the best people in the world to work with. So that's I, there we go. I, I get my little shout out to Rick Mail out of the way. Also very sad that, that Greg Davies lost both Rick Mail and his own dad in the same year. Oh. So I, yeah, yeah. The the show does take a really dark turn at that point because they do address it. Yeah, 
So yeah. I, there you go. There's a quick little recommendation for British TV for you. In there. Hey, there you go. Um, so yeah, yeah, but and I just it was just so funny to to kind of revisit Phoebe Cates, who I I really only, I really only know from Drop Dead Fred and um, Gremlins was the other one, I, and he, which she was in with Judge, Judge Reinhold yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's all it's it's obviously all about what you see first. And I saw I for whatever yeah. reason saw Drop Dead Fred before any of the other things. And yeah. I I do feel like it's a shame that she she didn't continue to carry. I do think she was very talented. She is one of the better things in in Gremlins, especially the stories that she she has moments in both of them where she tells the super dark story that like brings the whole movie down for a minute yeah she talks about in gremlins why she hates christmas is because her dad tried to play santa claus and come down the chimney and got stuck and died in there and it, well, they didn't discover him for like three weeks yeah like this this is supposed to be a fucking family film what yeah. is i sh- actually liz had never seen gremlins so i showed it to her while we were waiting for her folks to come over on christmas day oh my god <laughs> And she's like, even 20 minutes in, she was like, what in the fuck is this? We finished it, but it was, I was dragging her through it tooth and nail. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Phoebe Cates might be, the, have the best performance in this movie. Yeah, and it, it circles back to what we're talking about is the, you know, not having game, but talking like you do have a good game yeah. kind of thing. I do, I I. I agree with you. I think she, the a, material that she's given is fantastic. In a movie that has a lot of c- cliched, broad strokes performances, I, I, f- I found her to be very on the nose and naturalistic and uh, and believable. I, I really, yeah. And and Jennifer Jason Lee was hit and miss, but when she was with Phoebe Cates, I totally bought their friendship. I totally liked them together talking. I, I, I thought that was great. I feel like I just have like a bunch of... Uh, like I have a bunch of like funny things like from the documentary that I liked. Uh, the what my favorite one was um, when they gave Forrest Whitaker the part. Amy Hackerling happened to be looking out the window to the parking lot, and for it was like it was like his first big thing. And as he was going to his car, she saw him skipping and singing to himself out loud. And I I just I love that. I love hearing stuff like that. I mean not not every not every show or or role or whatever you get is going to be that great. But you know, I I always love hearing about actors when they're young and, and, and like the first big thing and just like how excited they got. I mean, that's, that's great. I love, I love hearing about that kind of energy. Well, especially for someone like him, he gets to show up. He doesn't have a ton of dialogue. He just gets to show up and kind of be a badass. Yeah. He gets to, he gets to have his car destroyed by Spicoli, have it framed to look like it's the rival high school and gets to just tackle motherfuckers into the ground all night. Yeah. yeah it's very, yeah, it's very funny. Don't, what is Don't, don't, Fuck with me, Damone, or whatever he says early yeah. on. Yeah, it's so great. He just fucking looms over him when he gets out of the car. That's great. Yeah. And the fact that this man went on to go to be who he was. I mean, I I absolutely adore The Last King of Scotland. I, I do, too. And it's a debate that we'll have at some other point um, about leading versus supporting and, and how the the films, how the producers of the film tend to go it because it's he's not the He's not. No, he's not. He's not the movie. lead. Yeah, it's the same reason. Same problem I have with Training Day. It's Ethan Hawke's story that uh, that Denzel Washington happens to have the more um, the more iconic kind of um, scenery chewing moments. Um, yeah. That's, well, you that, could extrapolate further and say that you know Anthony Hopkins shouldn't have won Best Actor for Sons of Lambs because he's in it for a grand total of about eighteen minutes. Sure. Yeah. 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 But again, again, and that's mostly to do with how the the producers push the film forward. Yeah. You know. Anyway, that's that's. But no, no, I'm I'm with you. It's it's fascinating to go back and be able to look at this thing in hindsight, and and like you said, the casting director, I mean, was striking gold left and right on this thing. Yeah, yeah, and um, and a lot of times they they just they just cast people that they liked. They didn't have enough roles for yet. Like um, uh, as you hear my pages turn, um, Scott Thompson, who plays Arnold, who's the guy with the glasses, and, and Judge gets him the job at the place, and. They just liked him so much. They did. They did not have a part for him, and they wrote that part for him. And and whether or not that that fits in line with Cameron Crowe's book and and whatever. Yeah, I was like, gonna say like hey, we're getting we're getting further and further removed away from what I think his intention was. I agree. I, I'm not surprised that he's not in the retrospective. Yeah. Um. But but just kind of fun to know that you know through the process there were actors that they they wanted. And it was like, where do we put them? I don't know. And but we like him, so we'll just we're just gonna write a part for him. So yeah, but and and that had to be a frustrating experience as a writer. Well, and Crow is is credited as the only screenwriter. Now I'm sure he, there was obviously outside influences on that, but 
I mean, I wonder. I guess I wonder at what point. And but maybe he okay. Maybe he was just good about knowing. Okay, I, yeah, the book. The book is the real thing. This, not so much. You know, and maybe he could just see peace with that. Like this is just a film. Or like my, the book was the inspiration. It's not. The movie is not the book. Maybe he knew that. Well, and didn't it also face some backlash from some of the kids that he went to school with that these characters were based on? Because there were some uh, – was it similar or exact names? I, I forgot what I had read, but there were some issues with using names. Yeah, yeah. Um, which maybe just chalk that up to him being really young. I don't I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, not – that's – Certainly that's... in the book, at least, I think he used some more real names than what they ended up using in the film. Yeah, yeah. So did we talk about – are we talking about favorite shots? I, or, I'm sorry. My, it's, well, my, it's a fairly uninteresting looking film, so I can't say that there's a favorite or shot. Yeah. I, I really like Judge Reinhold in this film. I think this is probably his best performance. Yeah. I Other could, than maybe, I mean, I do adore him in, in Beverly Hills Cough and love the relationship. I think Eddie Murphy really did bring out some of the best in him. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, I love the scene where he, he gets fired from the burger joint. That's pretty funny. That, that's good. Because we've all worked. Hope you had a good piss. <laughs> we've all worked customer service, and I think we can all say that at some point in our lives we've been thrown under the bus like that. Yeah. Oh, um, you know what? I've been thinking about what what chunk of the text I was going to play before the episode because we because we always do that, and I thought God, it's going to be something with Spicoli. I just I just feel like it is, and I think I got I got to do the the what does he say like you can. Like stick my foot in your ass, or what does he? What does he yell at the guy? He yells. Oh, something. He, he goes on. He goes on quite the terror. I'm probably gonna do that instead. Yeah, I, I think fun. that's good. I like that. Well, and I also like what it leads to is him not being able to. It it really unsettles him. Yeah, and you know he's not the most likable character the first time we meet him because he's plotting to break up with this girl that he's been with for a couple of years through high school, and now he's getting ready to leave, and so he's gonna move Senior on. Senior year, some, man, gotta yeah. be free. Yeah. Which I can say from experience, I went through, and it sucked. It sucks to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah, we won't go anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave it there. We'll leave um, that one where it lays. What I was gonna say is, I do, I do like the the turn that it takes when she says basically the exact same shit to him yeah. at the assembly, which leads to something else though. Um, the thing about Judge Reinhold's character is, I, I, please correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like seeing him at the assembly. Is the only time we see him in school. We see him at work. I, we see him like outside the school. Yeah, yeah, driving yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, but but he's he's never one of the ones we see in class. Yeah, which I, I find interesting. Yeah, no, for 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 his character specifically, it's more about his job because they don't all have jobs, but they do spend some time with the characters that we at least know have jobs. But for him, the movie is about his job. Yeah, and it's about leaving high school rather than than being in it yeah did this movie make you at all feel nostalgic about going to the mall no no okay I so did. it did it for you yeah yeah i just remember i remember d- doing that going to the mall i mean because you didn't it, it was the place where like if you were going to go see a movie you could go to the mall and kill kill hours with your friends beforehand going and hanging out and doing whatever but that's only just because i know there are people that have those experiences and so i can understand where the nostalgia comes from there but for me it was when it comes to malls it's about getting in and out as quickly as possible and and that's not to say that i haven't spent a fair amount of time at malls i've spent a massive amount of time at um the south center one and at the cascade one I mean, I remember, I remember going to the South Center Mall when they fully expanded and put the big AMC that's in there now. Because I went to the day they opened it was the day that Dark Knight opened, and so my experience of spending time at malls is usually just going to movies or last minute Christmas shopping. It, it, malls were Fair. never a hangout for me. Sure. Yeah. Mainly because I was more of a loner than anything else. Although I do got to say that the, the the mall in this movie has been in other movies before. Bill and Ted. Uh, and uh, uh, a little unknown gem called Chopping Mall. Oh boy! It is. It is so bad. It is so bad. I think it might still be on Prime. It's one of those Chopping so- Mall. Chopping Mall. Yeah. It sounds like they're trying to go the uh, the Dawn of the Dead route, minus the zombies. I'm assuming. Minus the zombies. I'm yeah. sure it doesn't say the same thing about consumerism that Romero was trying to say. Nope. Nope. Yeah. You. You've got that. You're. You're. Yep. You're okay. right about that. It's all pure surface substance yeah oh it, it's or style it's rather so than stupid. substance yeah. it's so dumb 
but so dumb that it's it's quite quite entertaining. Yeah. Um. Wow. We are. Well, I guess that was kind of related. Same same mall. Same mall. So do you, do you have an unsung hero? Yeah. I I don't think I do. I didn't address that when I was compiling my notes. But if you if you were to put me on the spot, which I am. I I Reinhold is my is my favorite character in the movie. I I think uh, I think my unsung hero is Cameron Crowe for even setting about on this adventure. You mean mean like the 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 idea the, the, in the general? genesis of it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree because I I think it's I think it's very necessary. I I think this film could have done potentially great things. It could have opened a lot of doors. It could have helped a lot of parents who were maybe disaffected and disconnected from their kids say, oh, wow, this is the experience that they're going through. I really need to talk to my kids more, which yeah. is, I think, the point the film maybe unconsciously was bringing up by not having any adults in the film other than the teachers. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. I feel there's uh, this movie is just one big, long, missed opportunity that I'm going to, at this point, assume is are, are all the things that were in Cameron Crowe's book. Because I have to assume that he got very intimate with some of these these people and learned some things about them which are, are, are deeper and darker than the what is just on the surface, which is absolutely what this film should be about, and it's not. Yeah. I mean, like we said earlier, we can't argue that Roger Ebert brings up that this film is mishandled, but I do think he approaches it with the wrong intentions. Yeah. That's that particular sentiment. Yeah. I think he misses the point of what should have been maybe yeah no i i i agree with that yeah unsung uh, hero for you was the casting director yes okay yeah. that's sorry yeah. yes you did mention and that. i don't know that it, yeah I, I there's no favorite shot i mean it's yeah it's, it's, it's very a, it's uninteresting but, but i do I, I i would say i do i do like judge being there when she walks out and yeah yeah it's it's yeah, nice. again a missed opportunity to deal with something real yeah which i i also feel this is a, this may come across as the hot take I, I feel Juno did the same thing. I don't remember that movie. No? I've seen it once. There, there's a lot of things in that movie that I think misrepresents the way that situation typically is handled. I, I don't know. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Juno. I especially pissed off about its best picture nom. Yeah. Rather than, funny, bring it back to Sean Penn when the fifth film that should have been nominated for best picture was Into the Wild. Again, I... I've only seen it once. No. Yeah. That was, that was 07. Yeah. Which was a great year for film. It really was. Yeah. You had, there will be blood Blood and no country for old men were the two really in contention. Yeah. Juno was up. Atonement was up and also Michael Clayton. Oh, Um, I love, I adore Michael Clayton too. I I see. I would take out Juno and put in Zodiac. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That would be mine. Yeah. I can get behind that. And then we should take out Atonement and throw into the wild in there. I do like I I, I do like it so much. It did end yeah. up on my yeah. on my ten, you know, ten best of the year list. Yeah, but it was obviously below Into the Wild. So we're talking about best picture nominees for two thousand and seven, which means we're totally off topic. Which oh, means I think it's I think time time to, I think time, it's to end. time to it's time to, to come to the end. Yes. Yeah, so Ian, do you think this movie should be in the book? I've been asking myself this all week, and I can't. I don't have a definitive yes or no because I think I think this this film is in the book. For nostalgic purposes, and I don't want to take anything away from nostalgia and how powerful that is, but it's also it's, nostalgia can also not be a good thing. I agree. I think I think this film, man, it, it's tough. I would I do have a replacement for it though. Okay, I do too. And, and so I I don't think it should be in the book. Okay, I don't. What's your replacement? Almost famous. Mine too. Oh yeah, it really That's, is. This, this is why we do this. Yeah, right here. Yeah, right now. Yeah. yeah, almost famous. Man, that film shocked me. It's so good. It's it, well, it's brilliant, but it also, again, it has a turn, and it has a rather nasty turn. Yeah, one that I was not expecting at all, and it's uh, it's a great expose on this because again, Cameron Crowe got to at a very young age, he got to be involved in these types of situations and and go on the road. Yeah, with a band and get to know them very intimately, and this kind of expose of these. The, uh, the 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 roadies, not the roadies, but the um, the band aids. Yeah, and being passed around and and what that does to them psychologically is yeah. treating them like a disposable commodity, which was not what I was expecting at all from the like that movie gets really really dark really really quick. Yeah, it does. And yeah, I 
I think it, I don't want to use the word masterpiece because I don't want to cheapen that word. Sure. But when you look at Cameron Crowe's filmography, it is his masterpiece. Hands down. Hands down. Yeah. I mean, it beats the pants off of Vanilla Sky and Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, I think, is clear second. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. I still haven't seen Singles, though, which I hear is fantastic and has an awesome soundtrack. Yeah, I haven't And it's set up here. Do you know why I I think it, 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 and not only is Almost Famous the, the, the replacement, just not because of the camera crow connection, but so when I, when I was, cause I was talking to, cause we watched Fast Times, Melissa and I, and at the end she asked me, she goes, so what do you, what do you think? And I go, no, there's, there's no way it should be in the book. And she goes, what do you think should? And it immediately, it was Almost Famous. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to think twice. Yeah. So I guess my, my final thoughts, if, if I, if I may, is that. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a comedy trying to be dramatic at times, and it doesn't work. Almost Famous is a drama. It's a serious movie that works and also has very funny moments in it. And Melissa hasn't seen Almost Famous. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be it'll be something that we watch very soon. But I, I love... The, the long cut or the theatrical? Oh, she hasn't seen either. No, I mean, what are you going to show her? I think, I think I only have the bootleg cut now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I told her about the scene happens when, when, um, the Cameron Crowe character is young and Zoe Deschanel is basically going to leave the house. She, and she says, she says something to Fran, by the way, come on, Francis McDormand and Zoe Deschanel and Kate Hudson are all in this and they're all great in this yeah, movie. It's, it's up there among the best things that they've done. Yeah. And, uh, Which I love saying something from McDormand. Yeah. And I, I love when Zoe Deschanel storms off and she goes, well, feck you. And she, she leaves. And Frances McDormand is just, you know, she's like, oh my God, what have I done? I've lost her. I can't believe, I can't believe what she said. And then he goes, I think she said feck. And her, what's the difference? The letter U. And just this little kid doing it. it, It's this fun little moment that isn't trying to be too funny, but is funny because it's just kind of being genuine. And I would say that that moment in Almost Famous is funnier than any moment in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I Hunt hands down. I don't think I laughed during it. Oh, I, during Fast Times. Yeah, I don't think I laughed. I think the only thing that made me chuckle was him in the Captain Hook costume. I probably smiled. Yeah, I was like, ah, yeah, that's kind of amusing. But and the like, fact that he didn't realize he was wearing it. But and... even the 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 Phoebe Cates catching him jacking off in the in the bathroom. I love you. Just the see it story. coming. I love yeah, the behind this... the scenes that he did actually have a real dildo yeah, and that freaked her out. Which yeah. that's great. Yeah. Um. Oh, so yeah. So I, I maybe it's not a solid no from you. It's definitely a no from me. Yeah, it's and it's got such I, a clear I, replacement. I, it is for the thing. The thing that I struggle with is I can see what this film was going for, and I, I want it to get there, and I want it to be important, and I want it to be the expose that it should, but it's just not. But you can see strains of it here and there you can see where if they had allowed the connective tissue to do what it needed to do it would have got there yeah but it it doesn't and they just cheapen it yeah the whole it is it's a very cheapened experience and so yeah it's a no from me as well i I love man i love almost famous yeah like i could just sit here and talk about almost famous for like another half hour but we won't because we're not here to do that exactly how much do you love the tiny dancer moment oh it's great it's so good i love the idea and it shouldn't work I don't think it should work because it seems it's, so... It's a cheeseball moment. Yeah. But the fact that it, it reinforces the idea of band as family. Yeah. And then how the whole thing gets undercut with the Band-Aids. And I, man, it just it's still so shocking to me because Liz had seen it. And Liz always loves when she has that advantage over me, when she's seen something that I haven't because it, it, it doesn't happen very often just because of the sheer number of films that I've seen. Yeah. And so she was waiting because she knew oh, that wait, I was. So when did when did you see Almost Famous? About three years ago. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I didn't see it on its release. See, what did you what did you just recently give me shit for not seeing? Oh, Easy Rider that I'd never seen it before. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not giving you shit for not because I, I saw Almost Famous the year after it came out. Okay, that's the way. Remember, it I, oh my god, I owned that on VHS. Wow. Yeah. That was a Hollywood Video three for twenty buy. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> And I forgot that I used to work there for a little bit. <laughs> but uh, 
just to finish that, that just to, to share, she'll love this, is that, you know, she she knew the turn was coming, and she knew that I wasn't going to react well to it, and I reacted exactly the way that she wanted me to, and she's like, yeah, I know, right? It was that, that shared moment of, Jesus, how fucked up is this, in a movie that you don't ever suspect is going to go to that place, which is automatically makes it the superior film. Just, are you talking about Kate Hudson in the bathroom? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to make sure. I was like, guys, yeah, yeah. is there something else I'm forgetting? Well, no, no, but, okay. no. And it's, for me, it was the psychological aspect of being, oh, this band doesn't want you anymore. They're going to hand you off to this other band, and you're going to go on the road oh, with them. God, and like yes. I said, the idea of a person being a disposable commodity. Yeah. God, well, I, first of all, I'm just glad that we have the same replacement. That's I think, great. I think it's great. I don't think that's happened. I think we've agreed with each other's replacement, yeah. but I don't think we've ever come at this blind yep. with the same one. I think so. I think you're right. Um, so we have a clear replacement to Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Almost Famous. Um, but we'd love to hear from you. Do you think this movie should be in the book? Do you disagree with us? Um, do you have another replacement for it if you think you do? Um, you can answer all of these questions and more um, at our Facebook and Twitter page. That would be great. We love interacting with you. If you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. Um, please like, rate, review, comment, all those things. We um, we love doing this. Even when the movies that we're not too fond about, we love the discussion that it sparks. And yeah, so, no, it was um, fun revisiting this. I yeah. hadn't seen it in about 10 years. I had never seen being it Being able all. to air these grievances. Exactly, exactly. So um, as always, thank you so much uh, for listening to us. And until next time, I'm Adam. And I'm Ian. And we will see you next week.